Oh, man. This is me. This is my excited for an episode gesture that I always make because I am super excited about today's episode. We are definitely going to be talking about agency contracts. This is one that's been coming for a long time, 23 years in the making. I've just watched agency contracts get more and more stringent, more and more ridiculous. Again, the traveler loses, the agencies win, the hospitals win, the vendors win, you guys lose. Let's talk today about agency contracts and what to watch out for on this week's edition of Travel Evolved. It's Travel Evolved. I'm Mark Holloway. Welcome to the episode, an exciting episode for me, by the way. I love these ones because it's it, this is what Travel Evolved was designed to be. And that was what you're not going to hear in from our standpoint. I mean, just agencies won't tell you this stuff because they're afraid. And I think, you know, this is where I believe the value of this podcast, this YouTube channel really come into play because... This is the stuff you guys, most of you kind of know, most of you have a general idea of things to watch out for, but today, it, it's, it's, I'd say it's things to watch out for. It's mostly the things that you should be aware of that are either in your contract or that are silent in your agreement that you're going to sign on with this particular XYZ agency that's going to represent you for this particular job. And it's becoming certainly last few years it's becoming more and more ridiculous as to some of the things that they're putting in there that are going to restrict you from working for another company from negotiating a higher rate to basically you lose we win language and that's what you see all over the place and it's it's amazing to me i do understand that in 2020 and and a lot in 2021 there was just so many needs that agencies decided that they could really, you know, especially ones that were paying well, said, we can really, you know, say what we want to, and these travelers are going to have to agree to it if they want to make this kind of money. I think for the most part, a lot of that did happen. But now that it's, you know, the middle of 2022, I think some of these rules should make you go, wait a minute, I, I think I've got hundreds, literally hundreds of choices out there on who I can have represent me or who I can basically work through uh, as far as who's going to pay me and who is it that's going to be paid by my facility higher than what I'm being paid to represent me and to hold this contract and for me to take this job through. And there's hundreds and hundreds of companies for me to choose from. So why am I agreeing to some of these things that we're going to talk about today? And I think the answer is, bluntly, I don't think you should. I think there are some companies that completely overstep what they believe to be their right. And I guess the lesson for today's episode, I'll say it already here early on, is that you guys have choices. You guys have a 
ton of choices. And it really should come down to who you trust, who pays you the most, who you've had a good experience with. And there shouldn't be an awful lot of threatening language in a contract because that almost tells you why does this agency have so much threatening language? How often do they get burned by a traveler and why? Why are travelers burning this agency? Why are they walking away mid-assignment? Why are they not taking jobs they, they accept? What's going on with this agency that's causing them to have that kind of tough language um, to make it so that they feel like they're protected from us travelers? And it is just what it is. So uh, it's, it's just a wild time, as I've been saying, and I do think that some of the stuff that we're going to talk about today is going to reverse itself slightly and somewhat. I think... There are going to be companies that have such tough language in their assignment, you know, contracts and, and whatever their their pay package details are giving you, that they're going to have a lot more travelers start saying, "No, I think I'll pass and go with somebody else." It's a weird time right now. Like I said, like it was last week on that episode, it's kind of hard to turn stuff down right now. But the market again is writing itself. We are starting to see higher and higher positions, more of them. You know, here it is. You know. I guess by the time this episode will air, it'll be the early part of August. But things are already on the pickup as far as, you know, recovering from the huge amount of supply. And what I felt was a decrease in demand is now starting to write itself. Because there's a lot of travelers that said, nay, this isn't for me. Just like I said a few weeks ago or last week. I can't remember which it was. So it's starting to happen. Guys, thank you so much. We've got a lot of people that are joining the Travel Evolved uh, Facebook group. I really appreciate that. I know my team has got some good stuff going on there. We have some more things that are about ready to jump on there. Just some helpful tools and some things that we think are kind of you know, companions, if you will, and accompaniments to this this show that we do. A lot of it's going to be some transparency with you know showing you know, how to find a GSA, some calculators we talked about, ways to look at contracts. We may actually put some contracts up there with blacking out some of the agency's information. We don't want to you know make too many enemies, but we do want to show you what's typically being shown out there and kind of explain this is the episode to go watch and look at. So uh, please, please, please tell your friends to join that Facebook group. Let them know about our YouTube uh, show channel and let them know about the face i'm sorry not facebook the the podcast and where it is that you guys like to find us what podcast works best for you so we appreciate that and things are really uh, going through the roof we have these lulls where i think it has a lot to do with us and what we have ability to be able to do and the timing and of course i do think the episodes themselves and you know we try to spread them out and make them kind of all over the place so that you never really know what's coming and that seems to work. I'd rather do that than have a whole bunch of financial ones together. There's a bunch of, uh, you know, ones to kind of, uh, I guess, elevate your your assignment, those all together. I think it's important to kind of mix it up, and that's exactly what we do here. So this one, agency contracts, this is one of mine, my contribution, because I really wanted to, for the first time, I think, ever, that I've ever seen on social media, really walk people through some of the things that I think are insane. And remember, you don't have to sign any of these. You guys have the choice. Now, that's easy to say, for me to say, I should say, because I'm not in your shoes. You may be a person that doesn't have a whole lot of experience. So you're fighting and, and constantly not getting the job offers that you're looking for. And you may feel a little bit more compelled to accept some of these, I guess, uh, wrinkles and folds that some of these agencies put in their contract. That's entirely up to you. I just want to walk you through that That some of these I think are crazy. And a lot of them, I think, again, depending upon the value that you place on that agency should, um, I guess, discourage you from signing contracts with them. We'll see how it goes. So 
I think that's part of it. If you are in a specialty where you don't have a whole lot of options or there's just not that many assignments for traveling right now, you again, you may feel more obligated. So this is just really information to give to you guys for you to take it, apply it to yourself. And I think everybody's different what you're currently experiencing and what you're willing to put up with and what you're not willing to settle for with regard to an agency contract once you've actually got the job and the offer. It's, it's an important aspect of this and one that we don't want to overlook at Travel Evolved. So here's what I'll start off saying. There are, there are, there's so much and so many different nuances for each agency on their agreement that you, first and foremost, you got to read this stuff. You can't just brush it by and say, I'm only going to look at the numbers, which a lot of people naturally do, right? I don't care if you're buying a car or you're signing off on an assignment, you know, contract that you're accepting. It's human nature for us just to skip to the bottom line and say, what's this going to pay and not really look at some of the, the, the nuances. But that nuances and those little wrinkles, it seems to be where I get most of my text and my instant messages and my phone calls saying, hey, can you look at this? Is this okay? And my first question always is people's, what did you agree to? What did you sign and say you would agree to? And if you've signed it, it's kind of too late. You can't, you don't have a lot of leg to stand on if, if there's something in there that you don't like, you know, about not being able to, you know, work at that facility for another company for a year. If you've agreed to that and that they can show that to that agency, I mean, that, that's on you. So as a traveler, one of the most important things is you got to read your, your contract. You got to read what it is that they're giving you to go over the assignment. And over time, you will get to be a little smarter. If something doesn't make sense, have an agency explain it to you. And if you want, once they explain it to you, you should ask them to put that in writing. If it doesn't sound like what they're saying jibes with what the language of the contract is. You guys are not attorneys. I'm not an attorney. So when someone is, is looking at something that was written probably by a contract attorney, of course it's not going to make a lot of sense to you in a lot of cases. So if their explanation doesn't sound like what this says, then you should get that explanation put in writing and say, I want this to be an explanation of paragraph whatever to explain this stuff. It's okay to be a pain in the you-know-what. A lot of agencies aren't going to like it. I'm sure I don't like it when people are that way. It's hard. But at the end of the day, as they say, this really, in fact, is your chance to make sure that there's nothing funky or weird that's getting put in that contract. But there are almost an infinite amount of things that I've seen. And every day or every week or every month when someone throws me one, I'm like, wow, I've never seen that before. And it's like, oh, people are just getting, I think contracts are going to get more and more increasingly complicated as agencies try to protect themselves. Maybe it's a good time to pause this and kind of say this. Agencies are always going to try to protect themselves from losing money. And oftentimes from garnering some sort of revenue based upon a promise, which is basically what this whole industry is based upon. Go back and listen to the Triangle Trust. They are putting things in there like cancellation fines and things we're going to go over here in a second because they are trying to make sure that their costs for onboarding you, credentialing you, the cost of the salary people, the salary portion of a recruiter, whether they get a deal or not, they're trying to offset some of those internal expenses by dinging you, the traveler, in the event that something goes awry on an assignment. And that's there's no two ways to really look at it for that. Some agencies, I guess, feel that they've got a big enough pot clout or power or enough contracts or something that's so desirable by you guys that they feel like they can add more and more things in there. That's on their CEO and their C, you know, their their attorneys and their financial and their legal department and everybody that's involved in those decisions to make the the, the choice to have it be where these are going to be things that you guys may walk away. They must feel big enough and they're getting like I said, there could be in their minds compelling reasons why you would want to sign that. 
you're the one that gets to decide whether or not it's too much. And if it's not something that you feel like signing and you feel like you get that contract, either go somewhere else or get that same contract through another agency, then that's what this episode is kind of really all about for you. So let's start off with a couple that drive me a little crazy. And I, I think the one, that, one of the biggest ones is like the non-compete type clauses that you see in contracts. And there's a couple. The most common one, I already mentioned it, it is that should you find yourself unhappy with XYZ company, our company, you can't just stay at that assignment and go work the same thing through another company. Now, predominantly, this is meant and designed, again, to protect the agency. They're the ones that found you this job. And here's where I'm going to kind of go out there and show you what agencies are and why they're, what they're thinking. And I guess if you really look at this and think about this, honestly, you could hopefully understand, which is what I try to accomplish on Travel Evolved, you can hopefully understand why an agency would do this, right or wrong, I'm just going to throw it out there. They feel that had it not been for them, you wouldn't have had this assignment. Now, you may be completely frustrated with them. They may be the lowest paying company out there. and You may have found that out by comparing paycheck stubs. There may be a bunch of issues that you don't like. Maybe you don't like your recruiter. Maybe there's some, like, something else that's going on that you just don't care for. But that agency feels it's not fair for you to just switch you know, and, and, and turn dime on them and go work for another company, maybe making more money or at least satisfying the rest of that assignment. There's somebody else who did nothing to garner the work to get that contract. They didn't match the puzzle piece up of you and the assignment desired area. I understand that. I think most of you guys could probably understand if you really looked at it objectively and said, okay, if I was a recruiter or if I was an agency, I could understand that feeling. My counter to that has always been if your company is doing a good enough job, there shouldn't be any reason for you to want to take the same assignment through them. You, I would think that if you had a good company, it would be like, hey, I hate this assignment. Can you get me out of here? But I certainly don't want to switch agencies and go work for somebody else the same assignment. That's got to be a complete bop on the nose saying, I don't care for your agency, which tells you as a CEO that you've got to do a better job on whatever it is that this person is complaining about. And you've got to start looking at why does this person want to stay in this assignment but doesn't want to work through us. And like I said, the biggest one typically is pay, but there are other things that can come down to it. Maybe the insurance isn't as good as you wanted. Maybe there's some of these other wrinkles we'll talk about that have to do with pay, but it's not the basis of what your pay is built on. That may be fine, but maybe it's how they handle overtime or hours 36 to 40 or what they do for your per diem, all these different things we'll talk about but the biggest one is the non-compete and this is the one i actually kind of understand I, I i don't think i've i have as big of an issue with that as with the one i'm about to explain because it really is i mean it's not fair you had your choice to compare pay packages if you will from multiple companies you chose this one maybe the recruiter was a great salesperson and convinced you to take something but really when you think about it it's really probably not okay to want to switch companies in the very middle. Now, if they're not paying you at all or, or incorrect, if there's an issue in that regard, again, that goes back to you know to a pretty big, serious condition. And I would, I would understand that if you're a CEO of a company. If somebody at your company wasn't being paid properly, then there's no reason to want to stay there and go do it. But you love the assignment, you love everything else, and you can find somebody else, then, then jump on it. But I do have an issue just if someone just wants to make more money with somebody else. I, I, I put that on you, the traveler, and say you should have been listening to Travel Evolved. You should have been knowing, you know, kind of what some options are. You should have compared multiple companies. If you took the lowest paying company, then that's kind of on you. And I don't think you should just finish the assignment and with that company and want to switch with another one. 
the hospitals don't like that. Managers don't typically like that. They're not thrilled about the fact that you are wanting to switch companies simply about pay. They makes you, them feel like you're greedy, and you're not greedy. It's just the way that the, the you know the managers and the people of the staff say, oh, she wants to switch and go through all this problem and all this billing and make sure that you know we have this cutoff point of who's who we're paying at this particular week just because this particular traveler wants to make more money. It bothers them. I have less of an issue with that. Now. Again, the only thing I would say is if somebody is clearly not paying you properly or they're not paying you at all, there's something going on majorly with your payroll, that's, I think, the one good reason to, to see if you can switch companies. And I oftentimes will tell you that I think most hospitals are pretty open to that if that's kind of the issue. The one I have the biggest problems with is is ones that are, sorry, my phone keeps going off, is the ones that are tougher where they're saying you can't work for anybody else for a period of one year. And yes, I've seen these kind of contracts where if you sign on with our agency, you literally cannot work for another travel company without us releasing you. And I haven't seen these a lot lately, but they were pretty prominent a few years ago. And I'm telling you, if there's anything in your contract that tells you signing on and jumping into bed with this particular company, you're not allowed to, to work through anybody else ever or for a period of time, I'm telling you guys, you should run away. That is completely wrong. That is, I don't know. There isn't anything like that elsewhere. I mean, if you're working in a niche and you agree not to you know, be a recruiter for another company, I can understand that. But you're not taking clientele with you. You are simply working, sorry, at one particular location. And if you can't handle, if that company can't handle you working for somebody else, then it's a, it's a problem and one you should absolutely run away from. All right, this, one's, this next one's kind of a tough one. And this is where I've actually been asked repeatedly to talk about this during some of these episodes. And it's a hard one. It's one of those that it's, 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 there's no good way to answer this question. There are right and wrong ways of handling it. And it just is, it really is kind of wild. I'm talking about fines that agencies want to put and in, in, in put into their contracts that allow them to fine you if you are canceled, if you are fired, if you walk off an assignment. Tough language, right? Well, again, let's all take a deep breath because the idea is that everybody goes into this, the hospital, you, the vendor certainly, and the agency, all assuming that we've got ourselves a deal, we've, we've openly talked about what's being offered, the candidates agreed, the hospitals agreed to pay us, and the agencies agreed to, to pay the traveler and to bill the invoice to the, the facility. Everything's on the up and up. Nobody in this, in this I guess, cog and this cycle really wants anything to go wrong. But when it does, it goes wrong. It goes wrong bad in, in our agency, or in our, in, our, in our industry. It is hard because there's always personalities and egos at play. Two different things. There's, there's a totally opposite thing being walking off an assignment and being fired. So I guess let's talk about being fired for start with. I understand an agency wanting to recover some amounts of money, potentially a portion of your travel reimbursement that you received up front to, which should be there, depending on how they do it, whether they pay it all up front or half, or they pay it to you weekly, that's different. But if they've given you a lump sum of money in order to satisfy and get you to assignment and you're literally fired the first week, I can understand how that would be recoverable. It's not fair. They, they you know, you were fired and then they paid you money to get there and, you know, no, they didn't know. I kind of, side of the agencies on that one because you really should make sure you're not you know that you're qualified for the job and that you can do it 
it seems like when those are happening and, and it's a lot to do with tardies calling out just had that happen to me a couple of weeks ago or last week it was so totally surprised but it was five times in the first nine shifts that this person was either late or called out and they said thanks but no thanks and i just said yeah you're right i get it not a lot of leg for us to stand on it's just all we can do is kind of tap dance and hope that they don't believe that it's our agency that is not a reflection of this traveler because i'm fortunate i've got another person at the same facility who they love so you can't always tell, but I, I understand something like that. Or I'm trying to think of another scenario that would be recoverable. If some agencies feel like they should be able to recover their credentialing expense, which I've always said is not nearly as huge as people think it is. It is a small amount that we pay because obviously the bigger and the more volume you're doing as an agency, the larger agency, the less they're paying to credential you because they have a bigger amount that they're running through a background company or they've got a more of a system down with their internal credentialing people. So it actually costs them less. But let's just say 350 bucks to get you an assignment. I can understand an agency wanting to recover some of that, depending upon how many weeks you were there. But I do have issues with an agency basically saying that if you get fired for any reason at any point in your contract, we want to recover $1,000, $1,500. My question is, for what? What is that actually supposed to be for? Typically, I'm only being paid the hours that I'm being billed, so it has to be for them to recover what they feel is an unrecoverable expense from them, which would be one of those two things I just mentioned, which could be, again, an upfront travel amount, maybe a credentialing thing. But if they're starting to try to tack on money so that they can pay for the time of the credential that worked you through, that's where it starts getting a little bit rough for me and a little bit hard for me to... Um, want this to all go on to the traveler it happens my suggestion for that agency is you need to decide whether or not this traveler is worth working for again if they're not you chalk this up to you know the cost of doing business and, and, and an expense if you see this repeatedly you've got some internal things with your agency you've got to start looking at why are these people slipping through the cracks how are we not catching you know this are we doing backgrounds are we checking their references to make sure that they aren't tardy or late or calling out repeatedly beforehand was it a fluke was it just this assignment is there something clinically that we need to, that we need to handle that's to me where an agency needs to keep the traveler out of it and start looking at themselves saying how do we keep our expenses down and termination expenses are costly so how do we reduce that i don't think that should be thrown onto a traveler all the time for sure but it seems to be that it is it's a tougher one than when someone walks off because it's not your fault but it is a hard one for us to talk about. And I'm just telling you, I, I see both sides. I think there is a point where an agency should be allowed potentially, excuse me, to recover a small amount of money that is an unrecoverable expense. But when you really start tacking on salaries and time and just trying to make a buck when someone you know gets terminated, I think that's where you as a, as a contractor for all of us basically need to look and say, I would I rather work for a company that has this sort of language in their contract or one that doesn't? Because for me, I'd rather work for somebody that just says, you know, it's going to happen and we're going to try to make that not be the case. We're going to do our work to make sure we're doing our best to see if you're a good employee and that's on the agency. What's your history like? Have you been, have you accepted assignments and not shown up? Have you had, you know, whatever? I know that you can hide it on your resume, but at some point, if you are habitually late or you have clinical issues, it's going to eventually find you which would mean that agency that's doing a good job would say, ooh, there's a red flag here. Maybe we don't want to have this person actually start an assignment with us because he or she has you know, been terminated or lost their position for the last, you know, a bunch of them in a recent couple of years. So that's on them. Where I think it's a little less difficult is when someone walks off an assignment. This is one where I think 
it's on you guys. As much ownership as I took on the agency the first time, you guys need to decide, is this assignment really what I'm looking for? Did this manager, I guess, fool me into thinking this was a great place? I got here and it's horrible. Did I do my research? Did I do what we always talk about on Travel Evolved? Did I talk to some of my peers and throw out, hey, has anybody ever worked in this particular unit for XYZ facility and what was your... You know, what was your uh, takeaway on this assignment? If you're an ER nurse, there's ER groups that will do that for you. If you're a PACU nurse, if you're a respiratory therapist, there are places where you can go and say, I need to get some information. I need the intel on this particular facility. Was it one where I, you know, it was a good assignment? And you guys will see pretty clearly, and I believe this, you hold us agencies accountable. You should hold the hospitals too. Eventually, if no one wants to work for that hospital, they're going to be paying so much money for their supplemental staff that they're going to finally figure out they need to fix what's, ailing them and not having people want to work for them. And the same thing applies to a comp an agency. So in this case, I do kind of understand a little bit of a fine if someone walks off an assignment. You shouldn't feel like you can. But again, my preference always would be, and this is the way I am, is that you should feel like if I burn my bridge with this particular agency, they're so good that I'm worried about not being able to work for them again. And that would be what I think an agency should strive for. Having such a good, I don't care what it is, it's a combination of everything. It's the amount that they pay, it's their customer service, the amount of jobs they have, it's the way they treat you. All that is something that you as a traveler don't want to walk off an assignment for, and I think they hold you accountable. If you do walk off an assignment with them, they're going to like, you know what, you need to work for somebody for a year, and then we will look at coming back with us. That should be the way it should make you feel like, I don't want to lose my relationship with this company. I'm willing to put up a little bit more as long as there's good communication. See episode one, communication is key. As long as there's good communication between you, that agency, and you guys both understand that this is not a good assignment. It's not you guys. I'll get through because you're important to me. You're going to let me get through because I'm important to you, and you guys have that, and you do a better job together. And next time, I think that's fine. I don't necessarily like saying, fine, 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 fine somebody or, or you know, penalize them. But I do kind of think that if you guys really think about it, if you do take an assignment and somebody's constantly having to, you know, spend money and quote you on pay rates that incorporate certain amounts of fixed costs and you don't fulfill your 13 weeks, I, I do see how that can be kind of like, hey, that's not cool. That's not fair. You can't just take the assignment and just, you know, drop, drop off on us. So it's tough. Again, I could literally get on a, on a stage and debate both sides of this thing with a bunch of very smart people, and I think I could hold my own on, on literally both sides of all of these equations because there's no good answer. But you guys have to decide what it is that makes sense to you when you're looking at an agency contract. Is this something I think I can work with? Is there a fine in there? Do I think I'm going to you know walk off an assignment? And if I do, you should know what's what's in store for you. And, of course, honestly, I believe if someone doesn't have that language in there, instantly to me would be more attractive agency to go with than some it does but i do understand them having it for certain certain situations right so all right most importantly and one of the things i i definitely want to go over on this episode is really how does an agency contract break down your offer how do you see it and this is where i'd say 90 percent of the communications that people reach out to me mostly through this this podcast and youtube channel where they say hey when you look at this contract most of it has to do with the offer and compensation language and what's there and more importantly, what isn't there. And I'll briefly go over this stuff. I would urge you guys to listen to the episode that talks about hours 36 to 40, the episode talks about overtime, holiday pay, all that stuff is really important, understanding a breakdown in offer because everybody's kind of breaking down their offer the same way. 
Here's how much we're going to pay you weekly. I'm sorry, let me back that up. I already, yeah, I already screwed it up. Here's how much we're going to pay you hourly taxable based upon the amount that we're able to carve out tax-free for your assignment on a weekly basis. So usually it has an hourly taxable amount, has a weekly meals and incidentals amount or per diem, depending on how the agency classifies it. And there's also either a housing stipend or they've lumped those two together, which is not good, but some places, places do that. So you have a basic amount of gross income based on either 36 or 40 hours. Where it gets tricky is for those of you who are on 12 hour shifts, there's very limited language as to what you're actually gonna be compensated for for hours 36 to 40. And again, I urge you to please go back and listen to that episode. It's one of the earlier ones we did because it's important that you understand and you have it and write it. You can see very clearly that my agency is only going to pay me for the taxable portion of my income for anything over 36 to 40. So I'm actually gonna work longer for them. I'm actually gonna lose money because and rather than making it all taxable, they're just going to not pay me the tax-free portion, and they're going to claim I can't pay it to me tax-free, which is true, but they could be adding that to my taxable income and taxing me on the whole thing because they're still billing the exact same amount for hours 36 to 40 as they did for hours 1 through 36. So why am I being hit harder? They should be, they should be the ones that are being hit harder by having a higher taxable income that they're paying through payroll because it's extra hours for everybody. So that's a big thing for me that should break down exactly what you're being paid for hours 36 to 40. And you should be questioning, why am I not getting an hourly amount? I want you guys doing the math and telling me what each hour comes to. I'm getting tax free and add that and tax me on it to my taxable income for anything between 36 and 40. And why am I also not getting that full amount times 1.5 rather than just the taxable amount times 1.5 for my holiday, my overtime and my callback? because it doesn't make sense. So these are the kind of questions you need to ask. And somebody who is actually going to start, I'm telling you, the more people listen to this, and the more people that start demanding that, the more, A, we're going to make some agencies upset. We already are. People are already upset that we're talking openly about this. They don't want you to think about this. They want you to just, you know, be a good employee, go do your job, and don't question how we're billing and paying you. Just here's what we're offering you and be happy and take it. And it's just crazy money out there. Forget about what we're making and forget about what you're not making. Forget about how we have a higher margin and are actually making more money off of you for hours 36 to 40 than we should be. Don't pay attention to that. Just focus on what you're making. So breaking down an offer is extremely important. How many holidays are going to be coming up in that contract? Is it just one or two? What happens if you are in the OR or if you're in a recovery situation or you're a surge tech and the, the unit is closed? What's What happens then? These are things you need to open this up. Some agencies just say, hey, you got the day off, so don't complain. You never work holidays. Some actually will say, we'll pay you for that, which kind of makes you scratch your head and say, where's that money coming from? That means you're just not paying me what I should be being paid hourly. But it's, it's part of what you fold into the mix when you're choosing what agency to go with. So there's different silent portions of your breakdown that you need to be aware of and need to be asking. So it should all be there. You want to have the questions answered. And again, don't just take the recruiter's word for it because when it comes three, four, six weeks later and you actually have this come up, that recruiter's not going to remember you saying what they said to you. And there's no backup for you if you just took their word for it. So you need to find out specifically what is my hours 36 to 40? What is my total compensation for? Because it's unlikely it's going to say it right in your contract. What is my holiday, my overtime and callback? And what is that figure time and a half or what is that predicated or based upon where where why are you coming up with that figure 
You need to find out about my insurance. What does that look like? Is that broken down? Do I have day one insurance? If my assignment ends early in the month, do I have coverage for the rest of the month? Is there COBRA? All the things you want to want to know about your insurance coverage. How does that work? When does it kick in? When does it end? Is it is it written in your contract? And for a lot of them, it's just it just isn't. A big one, and I guess we'll I'll jump in this right now that I want to talk about and cover is per diem and housing costs when you don't fulfill your minimum weekly amount. Again, this is one of those that I, I could argue both sides, but the fact is I am going to defend the agency side in this. I know for my agency, when we calculate how much we're able to pay you hourly in your compensation package, it is based upon, like I've always said, either 468 total hours, which is 13 weeks times 36 hours, or 520 hours total, which is 40 hours a week times 13 weeks. So everything is based upon the assumption that you're going to get those hours in, which would include how we're breaking down your total compensation package. So with my company, when you don't get your hours in, then there is a reduction of your per diem and your housing costs based upon how many hours you work. If you worked two out of three shifts, you're going to get two-thirds of those amounts, and a lot of companies do it that way. Some companies don't. Some companies pay for the whole entire thing, depending upon how you work, but they're going to hold your feet to the fire on making you accountable for getting those hours made up. So there's different ways that companies handle things, but you need to ask those questions. Is it written in the contract what happens when and if I don't work? And by the way, what happens if I work a 48-hour week the next week? Do you guys look at that? Do you compensate for that? Do you make up for the shift that you took away from me or the one-third of the per diem and housing you took away from the previous week if I work 48 the next week? Do you give that back? Are you keeping a running total of how many hours I'm working? These are important things to know because lots of companies are great at docking you when you don't get your 36 in, but they don't overcompensate you when you get your 48 in. So again, good questions to think about when it comes to before you sign a contract as opposed to asking the question once it's already happened and now you've been docked and now you work 48 and you want to know the good news and the company says, oh, no, we just gave you the, the normal amount. That's not a good way to, to communicate, so to speak. So that sort of thing is an incredibly, I hope I didn't go that way too quick, but understanding how your tax-free amounts are offered to you in the unlikely, hopefully, event that you don't get your shifts in. And by the way, is that did you make the call to call yourself out? Did you have something you were doing? Did you ask for that day off? Or were you mandatorily called out by the facility? And then does there does it make a difference? Is one situation where you get docked and one situation where you don't? Or is it all the same? These are questions you want to know before you look at this agency contract and sign it. So here's the fact, and I'll just kind of, I guess, uh, I'll throw it in this way. Like I've said before, there are so many different agencies out there. And every one of these contracts has a similar but different nuance to it. And some of them are outright outrageous, so to speak, that what they are asking a traveler to sign off and agree to up front. And those particular ones that I think you guys really need to start going, you know, we can change this company. If we start refusing to sign this outrageous contract, maybe they'll realize they're losing people. And if they start actually asking us why, it's because I don't want to get fined if I get terminated. It's not my fault. If I didn't, if it wasn't my fault, and who makes that judgment call and all these different nuances. I don't want to work for a company that doesn't allow me to work for anybody else for a year. That's 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 not why I'm interested in doing this. This is a free market, and I shouldn't be lynching myself to one agency if I don't care for the way that it, they actually work once I go to work for them. These are all incredibly important questions. All right, let me get philosophical for a little bit because I think this is an important time to talk about this. I've mentioned it a lot, but when I harp on this show, 
about how this industry is so bizarre to me. It is so archaic, so behind the times. You literally have hundreds of companies, for the most part, that hold the same contract. Now, there are nuances, yes. Every once in a while, you'll have an agency that has an exclusive on it or just a handful of companies have this contract. But when you guys are looking at jobs in the general population of the United States, for the most part, I'm not kidding, hundreds of agencies have a contract with that vendor or with that system, which means you guys have choices. And I think it's so bizarre that so many companies do things our industry is just lo loaded with a bunch of of duplicates. It's exact same thing. Different name, different logo, color, different symbol, certainly different recruiter, different person running the show. But when you really stop and think about what it is that makes one agency different from the other, it's not a lot. It's It has to do with, in, in your case, how you feel about that recruiter typically. And then you're also comparing a pay package. The problem is you guys don't tend to compare a pay package fast enough or you've got three or four companies and maybe they've got different jobs they're submitting you to but by the time you get an offer you only know what the one company is offering you but to me it's so bizarre that our industry i mean it really is it is it's not like we're inventing a different kind of soda right and it's our flavors better it's it's like if everyone had the exact same recipe for the same cola it would be like, well, why am I choosing this one? I don't know. This one costs less or this one costs more. It's just, it, to me, it's insane, which goes why I'm saying this, because I'm telling you guys, you guys have incredible options if you would just exercise them. And I do believe that this industry needs a kick in the pants. And I unfortunately think the one that has to do the kicking is you guys. You're the only ones that can. You guys really do control the market. You can't control how many people you have work applying for the same job. You can't control how much experience you have, but you can control the agencies in which you go to work for. And you can base a lot of this on the agency contract and what is being asked of you and what you're willing to agree with and what you're not willing to accept. And it comes right down from the very beginning, and that is how much is this agency going to pay me? And I think that you guys should, most of you do, compare apples and apples because it's significant. I mean, you start talking about holiday and overtime and on-call and being called back, and you start multiplying that over the course of a year or the course of years, it's tens of thousands of dollars difference between one company versus another one. So it's time that you guys started holding some of those companies that have a higher margin. And it's weird in our industry that oftentimes the bigger a company gets, the bigger their margin becomes, which means the less that they pay you. I find that fascinating, but it is a lot to do with, I've mentioned before, the amount of personnel it requires to maintain recruiting relations, marketing relations, all the different stuff that goes into it. It's almost inevitable. You watch a company get bigger, you watch their margins decrease. And it's not always greed. I'm sorry, you watch the margin increase, which means the pay decreases. It's not always greed. It's not, it has lots of, it's not always shareholders or, or owners of that company that want to make more money. A lot of times it has to do with, just like I said, the internal costs that it takes to run an agency with 2,500 travelers is very different than one that has 250 travelers. It's just there's more to it. So it's weird that it happens this way. And, and like I said last week, things are coming that are going to change that. I believe that the more travelers an agency has, the less money they should make on each traveler, which means they ought to start to decrease their margins and actually increase their pay. But I'm wacky that way, and I've got a completely insane approach to travel and how it should work. But um, 
has a lot to do with how your company's formed. If you if you basically you know run a company, you own five percent of it, and your shareholders you know d- dictate to you ninety five percent of what you need to do. You oftentimes don't have any choice, and you have to do what the shareholders say, regardless of what your personal opinions are. So there's there's politics, and there's there's egos and things that get involved in a lot of these companies too. It's not just one person making a decision. It's oftentimes the person in charge doesn't even get to make that decision. So it's not always their fault. But it's wild to me how this industry is just so, um, I don't know how to put it, in dark ages. It is not where the rest of society is with regard to how to staff a facility and how to do it through a quote-unquote traveler. It just, it's, it's like I said, it's 2022, and it feels like it's 1985 in a lot of cases. It's just bizarre to me, and no one wants to fix it because everyone's making a lot of money, including travelers, right? You guys don't want to fix it because you're making money, but if you thought you could make more, you might get it fixed. So what I'm getting at is you've got choices to choose. When it comes to a contract from an agency, you can look and say, nope, eliminated. And I'm going to turn down this contract, even though I haven't worked, I need it because there's other options out there for me. I would highly urge you guys to get multiple offers or at least pay packages from, you know, before you get submitted. Choose who you want to go in front of and look at what there's, you know, can I, hey, can I have a sample of your contract? Send me over a contract so I can see what I'm signing off on before you even submit me this job. Any agency would be like, fine, here it is. Here's a PDF. I'll be able to send it to you quickly. It may not have all the numbers in there, but they could put those in pretty fast. So you could look at what they're going to ask you to agree to before you go in there. So the point I'm making is that you guys are the commodity. You are in demand. I don't care if it's you know during a time when the when the needs are so high, or even what we just went through, or we're maybe coming right out of right now. You guys are still in control. There are sure there's a, there's a surplus of travelers and a lower amount of needs than there has been in the last couple of years as I'm recording this episode. It doesn't mean that you guys aren't individually incredibly valuable for every company that you're working through or for right now which means we all should be earning your business every single day with regard to all these things we just talked about on this episode whether it's just talking about pay where we're talking about some kind of fine we're talking about what happens if you walk off what are you, what do your hours look like what's 36 to 40 look like how are you handling your per diem when you don't get the hours in all these things should be a list that you're compiling to decide who it is that you want to take this assignment through. Because like I'm saying, you guys are in control. This is your business. And it may make sense for you to turn down an offer based upon what an agency is asking you to agree to because you know in your heart, and this is one of those industries I believe, you got to listen to that inner voice. And we, I do all the time when it comes to a traveler. If I've got a weird vibe, I oftentimes go, i got a weird vibe about this person. I'm almost always right. Same thing should apply to you guys. If you're getting a weird vibe about an agency or about a recruiter or even about a manager that you interviewed, an assignment or about a hospital, I think this is one of those industries that you got to learn to listen to their voice more often than not because it's usually right. You guys know what you're doing, and if something isn't feeling right, it probably isn't going to be, I would imagine. So you guys are in high demand right now. You're still a commodity. Make us earn it every single day. I think there should be some things in a contract that you should say, these are deal breakers for me. If it doesn't have you know, my full taxable and tax-free amount, all tax for hours 36 to 40, I'm not going to work for you. You've got to pay me what, what my full compensation is if I do anything over 36 hours. Otherwise, I'm going to go find an agency that will. I do believe that's when we can change. I'm not going to accept that if I get terminated and it's not my fault, there's no fine for me. I want that taken out and get it taken out. There has to be some deal breakers for you that you have to say, I'm not willing to do this. And you got to 
like I said at the very beginning, you got to read the contract to find out what it is in there that's going to be a deal breaker for you. So you got to make us work harder for your business. I think right now, as we move into potentially a new, you know, bigger time frame, falls are always bigger. You have some power. You have some clout. Make sure your agency is earning your business because it is it is what we all want. I want every one of you out there to work for me. And if I haven't earned your business, there's got to be a reason why, and I'm working hard to get that. So is every other person that's in my shoes. We all want you to work for us. There's no secret to it. We want you to stay working for us, and we want you to be happy. So we have to make sure that you keep happy and that you stay happy. And it's our job to make sure within reason that you are. So, All right, I was talking last week a little bit about my days at Fast Staff, and I want to kind of talk, circle around that a little bit. Um, like I mentioned toward the end, it was kind of interesting because I had an opportunity early on in my career to meet with travelers, mostly nurses in my case, it wasn't too much allied, face-to-face, which in the industry back in the early 2000s, that didn't really happen. When did you meet? Maybe at a convention. But there was no Skype. There was no way to, to, you know, we were unique in the fact that we created this position for me to be able to fly around and actually get the real skinny on travelers. And I, I do believe it catapulted my career. It's what made me even though I've never, I mean, I've recruited, but I've never really recruited. If that makes sense to you, I've taught recruiting, and I actually have, you know, I mean, I consider every time I talk to a traveler, it's basically like I'm like I'm recruiting them, so to speak. But I learned really quickly because you can do that when you're face to face with somebody. It's a lot different than being on the phone with somebody. You understand what makes them tick, and I was really fortunate to be able to, I think, learn why travelers traveler and i learned very quickly on the uniqueness of each traveler and what made them want to do this or stay doing this or what motivated them what they were looking for and i learned very quickly on that it's not remotely the same for one versus the other being able to be in front of these folks it was exhausting days i literally was mostly on saturdays and sundays that we would we'd fly out on wednesday or thursday getting all set up and we would meet in these conference rooms, like I said, 20, 30 people every hour. We'd sit down, you'd go over everything, you'd make your presentation to them as to why they would go to work for you, you'd hand them a list of stuff that we had open. And then you'd sit, they'd actually fill out paperwork, which is kind of crazy. And why there, you would sit there and they'd ask you questions, they'd talk to them about it, you'd, you'd look at particular positions, how things were broken down with pay. So it allowed me to write there, talk to people. What bothered me, I don't mean to beat a fast staff because it was a different company back then, but lots of times what I was saying to them face to face once they went back and got an assignment with with a recruiter three or four weeks later, who knows how long it took, it oftentimes wasn't what I said. And it wasn't that I was misleading them. I was told to say this, this, and this. And it bothered me sometimes that it could change based upon a different recruiter, based upon a nuance of a job. And I hated when someone would say, hey, you sat there and told me this and this and this, and it turns out that's not the case. I, I hated that loss of control and loss of integrity that would happen with a decent-sized company from when I sat down with somebody face-to-face and then what would happen on assignment. That always bothered me. And it was one of the reasons why it was easier for me to, to go elsewhere and look for a different career change because I didn't like that aspect of it. And I, I realized early on that I wanted to be in control of what the answer was. I'm so sorry. I wanted to be in control of what the answer was so that I could say what I wanted to say and have it come to be that, hey, the buck stops here. So I knew right then that I needed to not be in position. If I was going to be in travel healthcare, I couldn't, I had to be pretty high up, which meant I had to start in my own company or, or work for myself, which brings me to what my, my next kind of phase was. And that was, I had an opportunity to see if I could start a new division for an established headhunter company. Now they had no idea what travel healthcare was. But they would make 
permanent placement fees on people everywhere from hospital CEOs to, I mean, anything across the board. I don't care if you were, you know, they were looking for someone in accounting and a meat and dairy industry. It had nothing to do with healthcare. But this was a big, big company based on Ohio that, that made millions and millions of dollars by getting fees to find personnel. They were a headhunter company, for lack of a better word, if you remember that term, headhunter. They wanted to develop, somebody had learned about travel nursing primarily, because it was where all the money was originally, and they actually had started a, a radiology division down in Florida where they were making some headway on working with this travel radiology. And they found me and said, would you be willing to start this division and actually create a division for us where we were getting into travel nursing? And I went, I don't know. I don't know. I'm kind of happy doing what I'm doing. But I was at the point where I was getting a little burnout of the flying around. And I presented it to my wife. And uh, she was pregnant with my daughter at the time. So I don't know if I caught her when her emotions were at a weird time. But she said, okay, yeah, let's do it. So we basically left Fast Staff to create um, a new division uh, with this group uh, called MRI out of, out of uh, Cleveland, Ohio. And it was, for me, it was an opportunity for me to start a company literally out of out of thin air but i didn't have an awful lot of skin in the game which meant that if it didn't work you know i could just go find another job it wasn't it wasn't i wasn't going out getting investors i wasn't putting any of my money into this it was an opportunity for me to see could i create basically a travel nursing agency out of thin air with some great financial support from a, a really well-established company that had a lot of money and so that's what i did i ended up leaving uh fast staff to go to start this division and it was I think one of the most important aspects for me, it was a really great opportunity looking back because it was a step into uh, being creating a company without having to be something I created out of thin air. I mean, I did create out of thin air, but it wasn't, there was no risk, if that makes sense. The risk was I had a brand new baby coming and I was walking away from what I felt was going to be a decent career with Fast Staff, but I also felt it was a little bit dead end. I'd kind of gone as far as I was going to go with that company and I felt like there wasn't um, an awful lot of room for me to continue to go grow with that. And they were, you know, looking at selling, going public, and there was just a lot of changes coming down the pike. So I felt like it was a really good time for an exit strategy out of that. And like I said, the risk was having a brand new baby in the house and having something not work out. So that it really was riskier than it sounds like. It was something I really had to go and talk to my wife and say, listen, this is what I want to do do you think we can handle this? And um, it was scary. It was very scary. It was a drop in compensation and more of a, a commission and, and performance-based situation, but I could do really well if I was able to create this. So uh, we'll talk more about it next week, but I, I, I will say that my time at Fast Staff was three, three and a half years, and um, I learned so much from Dan. Like I said last time, I was so grateful for what he offered me and, and the trust he put in me to allow me to have really some crazy high-end conversations and, and be brought into some high-end discussions that I think a guy my age normally wouldn't have. I'm, I don't know why he did that, but I'm incredibly grateful that he did because it allowed me to see the numbers and understand everything from all aspects of this where I think most people in the company didn't have a clue about what I was being shown. And it was interesting to me, and it wasn't bad. It was just kind of fascinating how these thin little margins, which at the time were pretty thin, how it just multiplied when you had, you know, six, seven, eight hundred people working for us. I believe they did at, at Fast Step at the time. So it was I'm grateful for that, but it was time for me at this point that I was it was I was looking for something new and I, I could tell already that I wanted to try something where 
it was me not having to tell somebody one thing, having it come back and have it change. Here was an example where I could tell them something, and I was kind of in charge of whether or not it happened, whether it was pay rates or how we paid people or what the assignment was going to be like or insurance. The whole deal was all, I was in charge of the whole thing, and that was very exciting to me, and it was one of the reasons why I said it's time to make a change. So we'll talk more about how that went here in a bit. But, guys, as far as your agency contract goes, you've really, this is one area where you got to stop and pause and say, I know you're excited. you got the offer. Maybe it's the hospital you wanted. Maybe you just love what the manager said. But you got to listen to that inner voice. And if there's something on this contract that you don't like, you got to do your best to get it fixed. And if you do, get it fixed and put it in writing. If you can't, you've got to make a really good decision on whether or not it still makes sense to you. And be willing to walk away from something if it is a deal breaker. Have these things to say, if this is where they're going to do it, I am not going to sign that contract. And for everybody, that's going to be different. Some people may not have anything that they won't be willing to sign. For others, it could be a lot. And I think you have to make your own decision on what makes sense when it comes to an agency contract that you're willing to accept and what you're absolutely just not willing to to uh, sign off on because there there's a lot in some of these contracts. And I think as time goes by, if you guys get the power I think you're going to get and have, mostly, you guys, I don't think you're going to get the power over the house, but I'll just throw it out to you right now. I've seen that a lot on Facebook and you know, we're going to be able to control the, the rates. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think it's always going to be supply and demand. But you do have power over agencies. I believe that mostly because we're the middleman, you have a lot of choices as to who you're going to take that contract through. And I think it's time to start holding all agencies to a higher standard. You don't want to upset the ones that pay the most. You probably don't want to upset the ones that have the most jobs out there. But the ones that are, you know, just a dime a dozen that they're paying comparable to everybody else and they seem to have the same kind of jobs, those are the ones you're going to have to make hold to a higher standard and say, you guys got to do better because there's literally 30 companies that offer me the same thing or similar or even higher than what you're offering. And they're not asking me to sign this in, a, in an agency agreement or a contract that I'm being asked to, to, to sign off on. I'm just not going to do it. So fix it, or I'm going to go find this with somebody else. The manager already loves me, so it's be pretty simple for me to go in front with somebody different. So be aware of that. You guys have the power. You have the control. You guys have the ability to really dictate your own contract and what you're willing to put up with and what you're not. As always, I really appreciate you guys tuning in. I hope this one was helpful. I did my best to try to give you some of the things to watch out for. You know all this stuff. Just put it together in an episode so you have it. Guys, I'll catch you next time on Travel Evolved.